0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Isn't it good to worship this morning? Amen. Man, a dedication of London and Kira on the offertory and the worship team and so forth. It's just good to be a family. God is good. And all the time? That's good. Yes, we want to keep uh, the Langfords in our prayers. Um, Heidi had some complications this week and was uh, flown down to San Diego where she had the transplant done so the doctors who have been tending to her care could, could tend to her care and there's been some complications but the reports I keep getting keep moving in the right direction and are moving positive so please just continue to keep her in your prayers one of the things um, the doctor said to them yesterday was that the situation that's happening with her is extremely rare So much so that the doctor could only find one article about this in the entire world. And so this doctor wants to write an article after they continue to do their findings as well. So please do keep them in your prayers. uh, Brent and, and Jacob and Rachel uh, as they go through all of this together as a family and Mike and Sharon Hansen, her parents also who are members of our congregation uh, recently as well and will soon be one of our uh, worship leader teams here in this church so uh, we're blessed but keep them in your prayers um, next Sabbath uh, we have a special treat John McVeigh, president of Walla Walla University will be our guest speaker here uh, next Sabbath Uh, They come in the area around this time of the year and do some work with alumni and so forth. And so uh, we get the treat of having them here in Cala to to preach. And there will be a potluck following. And then after the potluck, John will be presenting some information on Walla Walla, updating on what's happening and so forth. So if you're alumni, you've attended, or you're just interested, just come on into the potluck and and listen to what John has to say afterwards in the fellowship hall uh, as well. All right? Well, we have been uh, continuing our series, In the Life You've Always Wanted. And uh, how many of you have been keeping up with the Olympics? Have you been keeping up with the Olympics, the Winter Olympics? About six of you? All right, that's good. <laughs> I know there's a lot of other things to watch on TV, you know, and on the Internet. Uh, but uh, it's kind of it's sad, isn't it? Uh, it's kind of like landing on the moon, you know? It's like before it was like everybody was riveted, you know, when, when it could be watched and stuff. And now it's like, oh, they're up there? Oh, that's good, you know, it's, uh <laughs> It's just a natural, everyday thing now, you know, with what we got with technology and so forth. And, and now, I mean, there's so much coverage. Uh, the Olympics, I mean, I think NBC, we had it like all around all the time, but you could, I was trying to record them and then try to watch some of them, but I couldn't keep up with all the recordings. So I was trying to get some of the highlights, but just amazing feats uh, in the different categories. You know, I'd watch some of these and, and just watch, I mean, just the, um, I was trying to explain to my kids, you know, what the, uh, what is it, the biathlon one, you know, where you ca- cross-country ski and then you have to to shoot the targets and so forth, and is that the biathlon, did I get that right? And I was like, you don't know how hard that is, you know, it just looks like they're just trotting around on skis, but, but then when you get to that target, and to keep it so you're not going, so your heart rate isn't doing this while you're trying to aim, uh, I've experienced that myself in my elderly age. Um... <laughs> being out playing full-court basketball, I remember a few years ago, and I hadn't played in a while, and I went to take a shot, and the basket was doing this, you know, and I thought, it's hard to find that target after you've been cross-country skiing, so, uh, but fun, and then, of course, the curling event, right, I mean, that, I'm finally starting to get that figured out a little bit, Uh, I spent some time last week with my son going on YouTube, searching, you know, how do you understand curling, and so, and obviously, Canada, you know, is strong in the curling event, you know, and and then there's hockey, right? Yeah, you just come on USA, you know, flashbacks to the 80s. And, uh, but they're all on this amazing quest to get the gold and to medal. And, and I heard an interview with the, uh, the coach of the Russian hockey team. I don't know if you heard this. It was a couple of weeks ago. And they said, basically, Russia feels that they could lose everything else, but they must win the gold in hockey. If they don't get gold in hockey and they win everything else, they have failed the Olympics. Ah, I hate to be that coach. (laughs) That's a a tall order to fill. But they're all on this amazing quest. And they spend years and decades, some of them, training and preparing for this quest. And so today, our subject is actually the well-ordered heart. And John Orberg in this chapter gets us to think quite a bit. And he says, you know, it seems like in our society, the quest for a balanced life is what we're all after. And he suggests that maybe that's the wrong quest for a balanced life. Now, I know when you first hear this, you're going, wait a minute, this sounds, this sounds wrong because we want to live balanced, right? We want this balanced life. And maybe to some degree we're gonna split hairs a little bit today, but I think there's some truth to what, what Ortberg suggests in his book. We have this quest for this balanced life and, and the balanced life can be quite challenging. I, I, I got a few pictures to kinda share with us as I was reflecting on it, you know? Life is, we've got, we've got our life in our hands and there's work, there's life, there's balance, and there's everything else, and we're trying to juggle it all. And I like what the next slide says. Uh, This is from a website called slapfish.com. It always kind of takes these things and puts a little spin on them, you know. It says it's important to maintain a balance between your work life and your family life. There are 24 hours in a day. Why aren't you working 12 hours every day? (laughs) Some of us laugh, but some of us go, ooh, that hurts, right? Because maybe we're doing that without even trying. But I think it often looks like this next slide where we are trying to balance it all and, and if we could be, you know, like this elephant and just get a grip on it and, and just be able to pull it together, life would be good. But I think mostly, like the next one, we try to, it's like a pie chart, and we try to figure out, you well, know, there's work and there's family, there's relationships and there's God and there's this and there's that, and, and if we could just balance it all right, then everything would be great. But I have a question for you. How many of you have ever achieved perfect balance in your life? Anybody want to give that sermon today? I have yet to meet anybody, myself or anybody else, who has achieved perfect balance. But yet we're striving for it all, and and it would be nice if, if we had that sense of balance. But I want to suggest to you today that, as John says... He wants us to consider the difference between pursuing a life of balance, a balanced life, or pursuing a life lived, listen to this, with a well-ordered heart. The difference between a balanced life and a well-ordered life. He says, balance is not the most helpful paradigm for an ideal life. The quest for balance can contribute to a tendency to compartmentalize our faith. Listen to that again. Balance is not the most helpful paradigm for an ideal life. The quest for balance can contribute to a tendency to compartmentalize our faith. My faith, my religious life, my social life, my financial life, my physical life. He gives us as an example, he says, let's look at the life of Paul. I love this. He says, I sometimes try to imagine a conversation between the Apostle Paul and a 20th century time management consultant. And it starts something like this. This is the time management consultant. Paul, if you look at this pie chart, I think you'll agree with me that your spiritual life is going pretty well. But vocationally, your tent making has seriously fallen off. This has led to some downsizing in your financial portfolio. And let's take a look at the time log I asked you to keep since our last meeting. This is Paul's words of his time log. Five times I have received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received the stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent uh, journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea again, Danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. Then John says, I have a hard time coming up with the time management consultant's next line. Paul's ultimate aim in life was something beyond balance. Hmm. Remember Paul's words to the Corinthians when he said this? Do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize, run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control on everything, however they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified." Or his words in Philippians 3, 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some might say Paul lived a life completely out of balance. But I would suggest, as I think Ortberg would, that he lived a life with a well-ordered heart. A well-ordered heart. Proverbs four twenty three says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. See, Jesus himself taught his disciples, and he continues to teach us as his disciples, how to keep our heart so springs of life, or living water as he referred to it, will flow from it. Remember the words Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Put something first. There's an order, it seems, to how God wants us to live life for our well ordered heart. Now, those of you who have been listening to me for the last four and a half years here at Calamasa, you probably have figured out that I tend to come back to a certain metaphor, a certain paradigm, if you will, that, that Jesus taught in John 15. And in John 15, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, It seems like he said basically three things in that chapter. He said, first of all, you need to abide in me. You need to abide in me. And when you abide in me, then something else begins to happen. A new command I give to you that you love one another. And the very, very last verse in John 15, he says that you're going to testify of me. You're going to bear witness of me because you've been with me. Now, I'd like to read those verses and we were putting them on the screen there for you, but in John fifteen four through 5 he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can only balance a few things in your life. That's not what he said, is it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's an order here. And then he goes on and he says, "This is my command that you love one another, as I have loved you. And as I mentioned in verse 15 it's verse 27, you also will testify, because you've been with me from the beginning. It's like those three concentric circles, not in balance, but impacting the others. It's like when we throw that stone into a lake and it ripples. You abide in me and you love one another and you bear witness that you've been with me. It all comes from that order of being with Jesus. Isn't it sad when oftentimes we hear evangelism taking place personally or corporately and sometimes, and maybe, maybe I'm just being too judgmental sometimes, but sometimes I say, I didn't feel the love. I didn't feel the love. There's sometimes when there's testimony or testifying or bearing witness, but maybe we haven't been with Jesus. Because there's a difference. Jesus says, you will bear witness because you've been with me. There's an order to it. I have this pitcher, cup, saucer, plate that I've brought out before. I don't know how long ago it's been, but it's important, I think, for us as a church to keep revisiting this. And again, this is on my table in my office because every meeting I have in my office, I want us to remember this is what life in ministry is about. Remember, the pitcher is God, and the cup is my life. And God invites me to an intimate life with Him, of Him filling my life with His life. This is the abiding. This is the, bri- the, the vine and the branches of coming together and letting him fill my life. And as he fills my life, it overflows into my relationships with others. It spills out over my life into the relationships with others and those that I'm with. As I abide in him, I love others. And as I love others in relationship, then the tasks that God has given me to do in this life, whether in the church or outside, when the church is scattered in our day-to-day work and school lives, the love overflows into the work that we do. We bear witness that we've been with Jesus. But isn't it sad sometimes, church, when we're trying to balance our life, and we may not be thinking a well-ordered life is the way God invites us to live with him, and sometimes people just get in the way of the things we need to get done. And so it's all about this. Let's get the task done. Where's the love? Or we try to do it all on our own and we try to, we try to mend relationships, but, but we don't want to or consider that I need that intimacy with God so that healing in my own life can happen and love can flow out of my life into the relationships that God has called me to. Or we might say there's God... There's my life, there's relationships, and there's work. And we try to balance all of this, and it doesn't work. It's a well-ordered heart that God calls us to, of living in relationship with him, of following him and letting him order our heart and our lives so that his love fills our life, heals our life, and spills into the lives of those we live life with and we work with. One of the other challenges of balance, I would suggest, is that I'm the one left deciding when everything's in balance. And I'm not the best judge at that. In my 48 years of life, I haven't done too well at that. But Jesus calls us to follow him, to put the kingdom first, to abide in him, and let him do the work that needs to be done in my life here on earth. I love when John Ortberg says, Jesus' followers are those who intentionally arrange their lives around the goal of spiritual transformation, the development of a well-ordered heart. And I would add, the development of a well-ordered heart by Jesus himself. See, that's the beauty of it. When we've been talking about this yoked life, is that he doesn't say, John, here's what you need to do. Now, good luck with that. He invites us into relationship, into the yoke with him to let him actually begin to heal our hearts and to order our hearts in the way that he desires for them to be. The supernatural work of his presence, the Holy Spirit in our life. Now granted, no one's perfect. We all fail. We all fall, but we keep trusting Jesus. Each day we surrender. I had a conversation with someone after first service who was talking with me about the message and And they were a little sad because they said, I thought I surrendered a while ago. And I said, oh, let me tell you, after 48 years, I'm still a baby in surrender. (laughs) Still learning to surrender every single day of letting go and letting God have my life and trusting him. Trusting being yoked with Jesus is the greatest thing that we can do with our life, church. John Ortberg also says, and I love this, he says, Jesus never said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and lead a balanced life. (laughs) He never said that. He said to follow him. Pick up your cross and follow me. There is an order. Seek first the kingdom of God. Abide in me. Follow me. Trust in me. And let me bring fulfillment to your well-ordered heart. Galatians 2.20, a verse I come back to almost daily. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a death there, church. There's a surrender there. But no longer are we living, but Christ is living in us. And so Christ calls us through this life of discipleship, through this yoked life, through this abiding life, through this pitcher, cup, saucer, plate life, to enter a life of training with him in godliness. Remember 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8? Train yourselves in godliness, for the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so John Ortberg in this chapter invites us to be intentional about having a rule of life, if you will. The word rule and the word regular in our language comes from regula in Latin. And so what are we regular about in our rule of life? The things that I'm most regular about are the things that are actually shaping and forming me in this life and are forming my heart. And so there are many things that we've talked about in this series that we can do to give space to God and give Him our attention: the discipline of celebration, the discipline of slowing. Remember that week? I had so many comments uh, after that week, and that we all we all struggle with that discipline of slowing down, of slowing down, giving God space, of prayer, of servanthood, of confession, of secrecy of listening and giving attention and responding to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life, of reflecting and marinating in Scripture. These are things that we can be intentional about. As we are intentional about giving God space in our life and giving Him our attention, there are opportunities for God to order our heart in a way that brings life and that brings healing. In closing, I would like to share with you a, one of my, probably my favorite children's story. The book's out of print, as I understand it. As I was trying to find my own copy of it, which is in a box somewhere in the garage, <laughs> and so I went on to Amazon to see if I could get a Kindle version. And, and of course, you can only get it through a third party, so I don't think it's in print anymore. So I happened to find a missionary somewhere who had put it on their blog, uh, who reads it to the kids that they serve every day. And I said, "Thank you, Jesus." This is a story called The Song of the King, and it's written by Max Lucado. It was written in the mid-90s, and uh, enjoy the story. Once upon a time, there were three knights, Carlisle, Elon and Cassidon. A prince, a princess, a king, and a kingdom of people, and one day the prince asked the knights to meet him. The prince said, My father the king has pledged the hand of my sister to the first of you who can prove himself worthy. The kingdom knew no stranger, stronger warriors than these three. And these three knew of no fair maiden than the daughter of the king. The king had promised only an opportunity, a test, to see who was worthy of the princess. Your test is a journey, the prince explained, a journey to the king's castle by way of hemlock. The forest, the knights responded, the prince said, yes, the forest. Each knight felt a stab of fear, for hemlock was home of the hopenots small sly creatures with yellow eyes hope knots were not strong but they were clever and there were many some people believed in the hope were travelers some people believed the hope knots were travelers who got lost and were changed by the darkness but no one really knew for sure carlisle the strongest of the knights asked in a frightened voice will we travel alone you may each choose one companion the prince told them Elon spoke next. Alon wasn't as strong as Carlo, but he was much quicker. He was famous for his speed. Elon said in a high, frightened voice, but the forest is dark. How will we find our way? And the prince nodded, reached into his sack, and pulled out a flute. There are only two flutes like this one. The other is in the possession of the king. The pin- prince lifted the instrument up to his lips and began to play soft, sweet aria. My father, the king, plays the same song, and his song will guide you to the castle. The king will play the song from the castle wall three times a day, and when the sun rises, when the sun peaks, and when the sun sets, listen for him, follow his song, and you will find your way. Now Cassadon spoke up, and Cassadon was the wisest of the three knights. He saw what others missed. He knew the home of a traveler by the dirt on his boot. He could tell the size of an approaching army by the number of birds in flight. Cassidon asked, "'There's only one other flute like this one?' The prince said, "'Only one.' "'And you and your father play the same song?' The prince smiled and said, "'Yep.' The prince told them to consider the danger and choose their companion carefully. Each knight chose a companion. The next morning, the knights mounted their horses and entered Hemlock. Behind each knight rode their chosen companion. For the people in the king's castle, the days of waiting passed slowly. All of them wondered which knight would win the princess.' Three times a day, the king sent the music soaring into the trees of Hemlock, and three times a day, the people stopped their work and listened. After many days and countless songs, a watchman spotted two figures stumbling out of the forest. No one could tell who they were. They were too far from the castle. The men had no horses, weapons, or armor. Hurry, commanded the king to his guards. Bring them in. Give them medical treatment and food, but don't let, any, don't let anyone know who they are. "'Dress the knight as a prince, "'and we will see their faces tonight at the banquet.' "'That evening, a festive spirit filled the banquet hall. "'Finally, the moment came to present the victor. "'At the king's signal, the people became quiet, "'and he began to play the flute. "'Once again, the beautiful instrument sang, "'and the people turned to see who would enter. "'Everyone tried to guess which knight had survived Hemlock Forest. "'Some thought it would be Carlyle, the strongest. "'Others thought it would be Elon the quickest, "'but it was neither.' The knight who survived the journey was Cassidon the wisest. He strove quickly across the floor and bowed before the king, and everyone yelled for him to tell his story. They all leaned forward to listen, and Cassidon began. The Hope Knots were treacherous. They attacked, but we resisted. They took our horses, but we continued. What nearly destroyed us, though, was something far worse. The princess asked, What was it? They imitated. They imitated? Everyone looked confused. Cassidon continued. Yes, they imitated. Each time the song of the king's flute would enter the forest, a hundred flutes would begin to play. All around us we heard music, songs from every direction. I do not know what became of Carlisle and Elan, he continued. But I know strength and speed will not help one hear the right flute. The king asked the question that was on everyone's lips. Then how did you hear the song? Cassidon said, I chose the right companion. He motioned for his fellow traveler to enter. The people gasped. It was the prince. In his hand, he carried the flute. I knew there was only one who could play the song as you do, Cassidon explained. I asked him to travel with me. As we journeyed, he played. I learned your song so well that though a thousand false flutes tried to hide your music, I could still hear you. I knew your song, and I followed it. Church, isn't it great that we get to travel this life with the Prince himself? That we can be yoked with Jesus himself? And let him speak to us day in and day out. Let him pour his life into us day in and day out. So we don't have to try to balance this life that is too much for us to balance. But let him shape and transform our hearts into a well-ordered heart. that gets filled with his love and overflows with his love into our relationships and our jobs and our schools and the world in which we live. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our prince. Thank you that we get to travel this life with you all the way into eternity. And Lord, we try so hard to balance this life, but we confess it seems pretty impossible. So thank you that you are willing to be our Lord, our God, our King, and our servant to help us carry this life and to shape our hearts into a well-ordered heart so that out of it may come springs of living water, springs of life for us and for all that we travel this life with till your kingdom comes for now and forevermore. Would you take a moment now in silent prayer just to talk to your prince this morning?